to the improv teachers, this week's guest is Caitlin Steitzer. Caitlin is originally from Seattle, Washington, and brings over a decade of improv experience to the Magnet Theater. She has been fortunate enough to perform all over New York, as well as in exotic towns like Detroit, Phoenix, Seattle, Prague. She has studied with such amazing people as Rick Andrews, Russ Armstrong, Armando Diaz, Louis Cornfield, and many others. When not performing at the Magnet, she is shaping bright young minds as a social worker. She's recently launched into the world of therapy. She loves improv, meaningful conversations with friends, riding bikes, dancing to Kesha songs, thinking about social work, and reading magazine articles. But improv most of all. I was fortunate enough to meet Caitlin a few years ago at Camp Improv Utopia East Camp. And we just hit it off, and I really enjoyed our conversation. We talked diversity, we talked being a woman, and it was really a lot of fun. So I really hope you enjoyed as much as I did. And once again, thank you guys so much for listening to The Improv Teachers. Do you remember the first improv class you had to teach? Yes. The first improv class I taught um, was a workshop on how to be a coach, actually. The coaching workshop. So, so, so backing up, um, I've been teaching improv for at least seven years, but uh, a lot of that was connected to my work as a social worker. So it was in my agency, it was with middle school and high school kids, um, and we were putting on like really complicated and elaborate productions, um, uh, you know, every year, these like really unique like improv plays. Um, but it wasn't, uh, coaching as much in sort of like the traditional sense of like, I had a team of six people and I was, you know, running exercises with them. It was more like I was with like 20 high schoolers and, you know, we were doing a bunch of, of stuff that way. So I think, um, at the first camp improv utopia, I think I connected to some people from Baltimore, um, and they were looking to, to bring in other people to sort of try and build a, a coaching culture. Because I think in some cities, um, there's not as much of a, a culture of, well, let's hire a coach or hire a teacher to, to watch our practice. You know, we'll just run our own practices or, or something. So they were looking to sort of like build that and build some resources. So I was like, oh, yeah, I can totally teach like a workshop on like coaching. That's like no problem. And I remember, <laughs> I remember being very excited and like, very nervous. Um, uh, and you know, the first time you do anything, I think you feel a little bit like a fraud. And I think especially as a woman, you know, I think it's, it's hard to get to a point where you feel confident in your own abilities. So, um, so yeah, so that was the first class I ever taught. It seemed to go really well. I, you know, they brought me back a few times. Did you start improvising before you started social work or did you start social work before you started improvising? I started improvising um, before I started social work. I started improv when I was in high school um, in Seattle, Washington. I don't know. Yeah, I, I also I also knew that, like, as a career, I wanted to do something that was, you know, contributing to the greater good. Um, and uh, improv was a really fun fun thing, um, that I enjoyed doing. Um, I grew up in a theater family and I sort of knew I didn't want to be an actor in, in any sort of traditional sense. And I started doing improv and it was a really freeing experience where I felt like 
my voice was listened to and I felt really confident and I felt like it was okay to make mistakes and mess up and people would still like me. And that was, those are some feelings that I struggled with before improv. And, you know, I think have continued to struggle with, but improv has helped me work through. Um, yeah. And then, uh, when I was in social work school, um, I had, a a class that was on the purposeful use of activities. And it was about how to sort of incorporate activities into social work practice, into group work practice. And um, one of the books the professor brought in was a Viola Spolin. And I sort of realized that social work and improv were started in the same place. They both grew out of uh, an agency in Chicago called Hull House, which was like the first, it was like the birthplace of social work. And it's where Viola Spolin got her start. So... That's so cool because like you, I was doing improv before um, I got thrust into the world of disabilities because of my own – like with the kids and all my own uh, my own track. And uh, right away when – I was at – I don't – I was at something and they were talking about this and communication with that and with your kids and then like a lot of like, you know, positive behaviors and all this stuff. And I was like – there's you to make such a crossover of like that purposeful activity of the kids hate going to speech therapy, but you know what's really fun is taking a a, ver- a simple game like zip zap zop or a pattern game and using the words that they have to use for speech therapy this week and sitting at the table and doing that uh, and engaging in uh, getting them to practice things with silly theater games. Uh, so I yeah so right away I started to see those connections also. When you started the co- when you started coaching improv and then teaching improv, was it like one of those things where you're like, oh my god, this is fantastic! I just want to do, I just want to do this. It was really fun, although at first it was a little unsettling um, because I I really started working with middle school and high school students, and they are really tough and also really wonderful because you know right away when you're not on the right track with middle school and high school students because they will tell you miss this is boring (laughs) or they will just like walk away and start like rolling around on the floor or whatever it is whatever age group like either they'll be like really rude and they'll just be like "Ugh, I hate this or like if they're middle schoolers or younger you just sort of you see it they just sort of like wander away and they sort of like run away Um, and so then you're like, all right, great. Well, I have to think on my feet and I have to change my tactic. I have, you know, like this exercise isn't engaging to them and I have to like recalibrate and think really quickly about why that might be and then choose something that might be engaging. Um, and so when I started working with adults, there was part of me that's like, oh, this is so nice. Like they're so polite and they won't tell me if they hate it. Um, but then I was like, Ooh, like they're not telling me if they hate this or if they're not getting anything out of it. Um, Cause I, I definitely have worked with coaches where, you know, we sit there sort of smiling politely and then they leave and we're sort of like, yeah, no, we didn't really like that. And so when I started working with adults, there was part of me that's like, Hmm, this is, this is really interesting. Uh, I don't know how I feel about this. I've since gotten uh, a lot more comfortable and just, pushing the adults that I work with to try and be honest with me if things are working and and things aren't. So that's a long way to say like, 
yeah, it's a, it's an incredibly fun um, and wonderful experience to to teach and coach improv. <laughs> It kind of goes back to like having, so an improv, we're always like, this is, you know, let's tap into that sense of play. Let's be free. Let's it's like this. Oh, it's just like when you were a child, have that childhood wonder, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so then it's, but that also goes with then getting the adults to be like, let go of being super polite. And if as a team, you don't like what I'm doing, please speak up. Right. So I think that's helpful for listeners also. Like, what are some strategies you do to encourage them to feel like it's an environment where they can say to you, this isn't working for me? I try and do two things. Um, I try and connect with a team before we meet to to get a sense of what they're getting out of it. Um, or, Or at like the top of a rehearsal, like, is there anything people are working on? Um, or I'll talk to the members of the team of like, what do you love about improv? Um, because I, I feel like my job is to sort of tap into what each individual player loves and help them connect to that more. Um, and I also feel like, you know, to, to help each team sort of find their collective voice. So I try and do that pre-work of, um, making sure I, I understand what they want out of it. And then, um... I'll just sort of model in, in a practice session, you know, being a voice of dissent or like asking for that critical feedback, um, you know, or sort of pointing out like, I don't know, it didn't seem like we were having as much fun in this exercise. Or I'll just ask like, what was that exercise like for people while you were doing it? Um, and I think different teachers have different perspectives on that. Some people don't find it helpful for you know, people in the room to say, Ooh, I hated it. Cause then it can sort of become like an everyone hopping on the negative train. So, you know, I, I think it just depends on how comfortable you are with that and how helpful you think it is for the group. There's some groups where you maybe don't want to open that door. Like they don't need that. They just need someone to tell them what to do. Um, but I think that that has to do with your ability to read the needs. And that goes back to checking in with the needs before you even start the session. That's also like you're saying, like sometimes they just need it. So that's also goes back to maybe a classroom environment versus a coaching environment. Like in the classroom environment where we have to do these exercises. One, I've been hired by a, a theater that already has a curriculum place. So I have to do these exercises or two, I know my curriculum and I know that this exercise will lead to something that we can then build upon. So we got to get through it. So do it. <laughs> Yeah. Or sometimes I'll just tell, you know, if I'm working with adults and they're like really not into it, I'll say, you know, you know, what I'll ask of you in this moment is to give it your all, give it a try. Trust me. You know, we're working towards something. Um, really just let yourself, um, you know, be a little open to this. And then afterwards, if you hate it, then you hate it. That's fine. You know, but let's, let's wait until we get to the end to see, how how it was are you currently teaching in a institution like an establishment for those who are listening who maybe didn't listen to the beginning you're in new york city uh yeah you're in the new york city area so are, so there's a lot of institutions there with curriculums are you currently teaching at any of them no not right now how did you get to be on the teaching staff so da, 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 da. uh so i perform at the magnet theater in new york city 
Um, and uh, the Magnet Theater is run by uh, some really awesome people, and it was founded by the uh, amazing Armando Diaz. Um, and he teaches a course there on uh, coaching. So, so sort of the way that the Magnet has set up their track is um, if you want to coach um, one of the house teams, you have to take this coaching class. Um, so I took that class, um, and, uh, and I really loved it. And I started, uh, coaching a house team for a while and sort of subbed in and coached a few different house teams. Um, and then I sort of reached out to the theater about, um, uh, teaching. And so I sort of taught a few workshops, um, and then sort of became part of the, the sub started subbing in different classes and stuff like that. Did they make you, because sometimes uh, programs will make you shadow classes versus just being a student in a class so that you can watch it with more of a critical teacher eye versus the student getting the experience out of it? Or is that something they have you do? Yeah, they they do have people do that. I've never gone through that um, program, um, but they do, like, or that, that way, but they do have people do that. I think when they're teaching the whole whole um uh class they definitely have people shadow so for workshops when you create workshops your what is your approach to creating a workshop um do you take look do you take a, a look at the large outcome and then build off of that how do you approach that uh i love building workshops and i i do um i do try and think of the 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 bigger approach of like what I would like students to get out of it. Like I'll sort of state that, um, and then sort of try and find the exercises or information that I need to bring in to build that. And then, um, similarly to my coaching style is I, I do like to check in, um, with members of the workshop and see, you know, what brought them to this workshop and what they're hoping to get out of it. Um, because, uh, I think, you know, I think that's important. That's how, uh, I like to learn. I really appreciate when teachers check in with me and care about how, um, like how I'm experiencing the class. And so I like doing that with, with other people. So for example, there's a workshop that I teach called face your improv fear, which is tailored around. Yeah. Like sort of removing blocks in our, um, our improv I don't know, life, um, and sort of like getting used to confronting things that we might be afraid of doing in like an improv performance or an improv practice. And I think it's really important for me to know what each individual student is struggling with, um, in that time. So in the workshop, it's sort of built in that we're going to go around and talk a little bit about what people are, are afraid of, um, and what they would like to, to work on. Well, uh, so when, when you do teach in a, uh, like an institution, uh, with, with a curriculum and, and all that stuff, I have a bunch of questions. One, uh, the fun questions are always like, did you ever have to ask anyone to leave a class in that setting? No. Yeah. I've never, I've never had to ask, um, an adult student who has paid for a class to leave. I've had to do that plenty of times in my work with youth. <laughs> um, I've had to, to do different behavioral interventions with, with young people. Since you do both the own create your own workshop and teach at a, you know, an established 
place with curriculum. Do you find working, do you have like pros and cons to each one of those? Do you find that you like something better than the other or something more challenging or? Well, first of all, I'll say that, um, uh, my experience with the magnet theater and I've definitely, um, you know, done more sort of like subbing into other people's classes, even that when I'm sort of like taking over from someone else, I don't know. There's very much a culture of the theater is here's sort of like what we're suggesting and make it work for you. So even at the magnet, it's sort of like, here's what we have been working on. Here's what I would suggest. But like, if you have other exercises, do, do what you want, which works for me. Um, personally, uh, some of the things I struggle with are like sticking to a curriculum, um, and staying within the time limit. I almost always go over time. So stupid. But, uh, but the reason why I struggle working with a curriculum is because just sometimes in the moment I'm there and I'm like, you know what? This next exercise that I had planned isn't meeting the needs of the people who are right here in front of me. You know, like we're doing this and I'm noticing that people need to work on X and Y. And the next exercise that I have planned is working on Z. Like I don't, I don't think that's helpful. So I'm going to throw out that exercise that was planned and I'm going to go with, with what I'm assessing the needs in the room to be. So will you over plan then? Uh, Cause I do that a lot where I'm like, okay, I got to go in and I have to teach this workshop or I'm teaching them a class and I have five exercises that I want to hit, but I'm bringing in like, I've already pre-planned. I'm like, all right, if those five don't work, here's another 10 that I, I'm a, that I think also are helpful. That Because sometimes in the moment I'm like, I know I need an exercise that like, works on, um, people being more spontaneous and like responding quickly. Uh, uh, what is that? What's that exercise? Oh, I can't think of it in the moment. Um, so, so what I actually like to do for face your improv fear is I like to sort of think about some of the main categories or some of the main things that people come up with. And then I'll sort of create a list of different exercises that might address each one. So then I sort of have like, um, some things that I can pick and choose from in the moment is really helpful. I find that super helpful as well. Um, just do your classes, I call it like the, the typical improv class of like you come in, warm up, you know, talk a little bit, warm up, uh, exercises, scene work, and then like cool down. Um, is that what you're typically using right now, do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, like I said, I like to come in, I like to check in with, uh, people to see what it is that they're working on. Um, I like to see the team connecting to each other, um, in warmups. So I'm a big fan of, uh, the stretch and share exercise where everyone chooses a stretch and then you share something about your week. Uh, some people hate that exercise and that's fine. Uh, um, you know, I think that's one of the great things about coaching is we all get to bring, our unique perspective and teams can decide this works for me or it doesn't. But, um, I like the team connecting to one another and, uh, doing some dumb warm up scenes that are just like fun throwaways and then really getting into the meat of it. Um, uh, and running a, a piece for like running a show throughout the rehearsal is a really good assessment tool for me to sort of think of, um, some things to pinpoint, I also, in my coaching style, would rather side coach when appropriate than 
give more notes at the end. And I always let members know that, you know, like people that I'm working with, because I, I, I find it, um, I find improv to be such a, uh, I think of it in terms of like sports a lot, you know, or athleticism. It's really like a type of uh, mental training. And so it's sort of like if you're running a race, you know, your coach can either be like, all right, well, I saw you run that race and now I'm going to sit down and talk it, talk at you for 30 minutes. Or the coach says, I saw you run that race and now I'm going to develop exercises for you to, to practice. And if I notice your form is off, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm going to stop you in the middle of the exercise and I'm going to fix your form in the moment. I'm not going to let you do this exercise for 30 minutes with incorrect form and then note you afterwards. Do you work on, so something that I found super helpful uh, for coaching any scene, um, class or coach session, you know, it doesn't matter to me is I will, we'll create a working vocabulary together so that when I side coach, I can yell out as little words as possible, but they know what it, it is. Ooh, that's smart. (laughs) That's a smart thing to do. (laughs) No, I tend to be very wordy. (laughs) I aspire to, to using as little words as possible, but a lot of times I find myself um, going on for quite a quite a long amount of time. Some people love side coaching, like they love to hear it and they can fold it in and do it. And then I've just had a few people who it really stops them. Like I just see, like they just stop and then they're done, right? Like they're just shut down. So I think out of those few times where I'm just like, but I got to, because I... Like the side, I like to side coach also because when the scene is over, we're never doing right. We're not working on skills for that scene again because we're never doing that scene again. It's skills to work in every scene that we're in. So, like you, I'd rather be in the moment and be like, get in yes and at the very core of something, right? So I just started developing like exercises that I would teach them and then be like, great, now that we've done this exercise. These are the two words I'm going to use for it. And I want you to remember that so that if you're in a scene and I say, show me, you know exactly what it means. Right. Or at the top of uh, like last night we did a, what I call a master rehearsal. So we have a couple of Herald teams that other people coach. But since I'm the artistic director, every now and then, like every six weeks when I have a chance, I go in and I'll do a master rehearsal, right? So I'll go in and see the broad strokes. And we kind of did this, we basically did scene blast last night, which uh, straight up stole from, with permission, Jose Gonzalez out of Torch, right? Yeah. But before we started, I said, all right, here's a list of words you'll probably hear from me from the side. Let's review what they mean. So that we all have a working vocabulary going in so that we can get on the same page much faster. Um, I've just found that to streamline and then not shut people down who aren't as receptive to side coaching as other people are. Yes. Yeah. No, that's very, very smart. Um, Again, I think so much of it has to do with laying that groundwork um, at the top of, you know, just – we're, we're here to have fun. Um, no one's perfect. Um, if I'm stopping you in the middle of the scene, it's because I 
want you to try and experience something that has like more fun. Also, if I like, you know, like mess up a scene or a set, you know, like I take responsibility for that. Be like, whoa, sorry. I really, I was too heavy handed there. Like that was my bad. Um, but no, I love that idea of like, let's just have some very, uh, very simple vocabulary to get into this. Yeah. I also will self deprecate or be like, all right, I just fucked that up. Let's start over. Um, I find that, I find that helps a lot. It puts people at ease of like, yeah, there's this dynamic in the room, but also we're all adults and we're human. I may not as much. So I'm doing this project right now where I'm working with a college and the person, the person who runs student development, she's in that, her assistant's in that. And then they have five um, student employees. So they're students and employees, right? So they're, and, and their job is to represent the campus and do tours and blah, blah, blah. So a lot of working on confidence when presenting teamwork because they are on different shifts and they don't communicate well. That dynamic, I may not... Um, be as self-deprecating or whatnot because there's a very clear dynamic of the authority figure teacher in the room and the students like and they they want the people who hired me want that um so I won't necessarily do it as much that but in improv classes where adults have sought out improv classes in a market where improv's not a big thing and have paid, I'm not, I'm not going to be like, I'm the all knowing being. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me. So, uh, so they're nervous enough. So I find like, if I mess something up or I give a terrible example, I'll be like, that's an example of how not to do this. At all. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Cause I think, uh, I think two things, I think one, um, improv specifically and art in general um is so subjective right and so I think I think it's really important for any teacher or coach to sort of be upfront and honest with you know this is my perspective you know and this is what I bring this is how I like to play um uh and so this is you know what I can can give you as a coach um, it's not like right or wrong, you know, and the team can sort of choose or the individual can choose if they like what I'm laying down or if it's not for them. Um, and it's also really interesting because I think, um, I think, uh, gender identity and, uh, different issues of identity can play into how comfortable we are being in a room and saying, I'm the expert and I know everything. Cause I think, um, we have different cultural expectations of different types of people, you know, like I, I think, um, I think it's still, you know, I, I think I was talking about this earlier, you know, the first time I, I taught a workshop, it was just so hard for me to feel like I was an expert, even though I had been teaching and coaching and, you know, I, had, uh, you know, in my graduate studies, like studied how to sort of like analyze and use activities appropriately to help people accomplish their goals, you know, like, <laughs> like, 
Um, and it was still like, oh, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure if I could be giving people these notes. Um, and I, I think there's a very deep, uh, seated, uh, difficulty for, for female identified performers to, to feel like they can be an expert or they can tell people what to do. Yeah, I, it's so funny. I have had the same experience. I have a background in applied behavior analysis, so I know how to, for learning, right? Uh, I also have a graduate degree, and then I've been doing improv, and there's still times when I'll walk in, go to teach something, and there's like uh, uh, just, uh, you know, a, a male who's a young male and I'm, and will say something and it'll make me be like, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Ooh, maybe I've been wrong all these years. Ooh. <laughs> Doesn't that suck? Ugh, that sucks in like the goal or in the work of creating a truly diverse and inclusive theater. I think there needs to be some spaces where, um, and, and this is just from my own experience, and so I'm sure some people disagree, but I think it can be really important and healing to have some space where, um, you know, I get to be just with uh, female-identified people, and we can sort of um, powwow and, and talk and commiserate and share tactics of how we deal with things and, like, talk about what it's like to be um, women in this field, because when, when guys are there, the conversation changes. And I, you know, I think it can be true also, um, for, for anything like for LGBTQ people, like the conversation changes when suddenly there's like a few straight people in the room listening, you know, or or people of color. It's like, um, you know, I, I think, uh, it can be really helpful for people to be able to, to talk openly and even for, for white people to sort of have a conversation where it's like, how are we, how are we maybe addressing our own prejudices or our own feelings about different groups? And maybe we should talk about this. Like, I don't know. So like in my social work capacity, um, uh, I think a lot about this and I think there are some really great organizations that do, um, organizing around dismantling different levels of oppression. Um, and, you know, in that work, I've seen some, some, some really helpful things emerge from spaces where people are, you know, sort of in um, homogenous groups um, and were able to talk about, like, what they face. Yeah. I, you know, I think it sort of goes back to this idea and um, this idea that we, you know, as human beings, we all carry uh, prejudice with us. Um, and for most people, uh, that's not something that we like to confront necessarily. Um, I think most people don't like the idea that um, you might be harboring some sort of prejudice against people who are different from you. And so um, being able to process, process that um, is really, without being defensive, can be really, really important. Um, it's so interesting. So... Um, so one of the, the things that I did years and years ago is I was involved with starting the UCB diversity program. Um, and I remember one of the things that we would do is we would sort of have these like just open discussion forums. Uh, and it was, it was really great. It was basically just a place where like, all right, everyone, we're going to get into the lobby and we're going to talk about our experiences 
um, in the classroom and there would always be sort of like one token white guy who would always have to bring up the, would have to bring up the perspective of, well, this all sounds good. I'm hearing what you guys are all saying, but we can't limit like free speech in the classroom, you know, (laughs) or like we can't like censor ourselves when we're playing and performing like without a doubt, like there would always be one straight white guy who would say that. And I always thought that was so funny because, um, I, I don't know if that's necessarily what people were saying, you know, like you would listen to, um, like, you know, black men get up there and say, I've been in so many classes where I get up on stage and like my white, like performing partner is like, Hey man, you're uh you're a gangster, right? You know, <laughs> or like, or like, you know, a black woman would come up on stage and be like, whoa, who's this like sassy lady coming at me with like talking about her wheat, you know, so sort of like talking about that. And it's like, I, I don't think they're necessarily saying, well, I, well, I don't know. I think it's like, you need to be able to listen to people's experience and you need to sort of like make a choice for yourself as a, a white performer, as a male performer, as a, a, a street performer or whatever it is. Um, like, you know, is the thing that I'm going to be presenting on this stage, does it have the potential to hurt someone? And then I need to make an informed decision about whether or not I'm going to go through with it. I'm a really, I'm a really deep believer in like, nothing is off limits. Like I tend to play really dark. I like playing really dirty. Um, uh, you know, a lot of times I've had like students come and see me perform and I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to have to adjust my style. Uh, cause I'm not necessarily always family friendly, but I, I think I, I think it's really important to stay open to this idea of even if I'm handling tricky material, I need to be aware, um, that it has the potential to go off on, on the wrong direction. And if, if someone needs to tell me after a show, like, Hey man, what you did was not okay. Like then I need to be open to hearing that as someone who has a lot of privilege in my life, you know? Um, being a white straight woman. Um, I don't know. I think like nothing's off limit, but I think you just like have to be open to someone saying like, Hey man, have you noticed that like every time you're on stage with a black person, you label them as like a gangster or someone who's angry. Like you might want to think about that. And so the defense of we can't censor ourselves. We can't like shut down our choices. Improv teachers ask people to do that all the time right? Like improv teachers are constantly trying to tell people how to make choices that are going to be more successful than others. And they want you to think critically about how to do that. Why don't we incorporate thoughts about, um, race, class, gender, orientation, different levels of oppression? Um, I just went off on a rant on that. Sorry. I have so many, like, uh, I could stay on this for so long because there's a there's a few things. One, like the whole like white guy saying don't censor me. It's really interesting because Will Hines and I had a conversation earlier or last week or something for this podcast, which by the time you're listening to this will have already launched. And uh, <laughs> um, and he said like he's like I don't tell people like they can't say something. He's like because they will they will fight to the death about free speech and censorship. He's like, 
So I don't even tell them what they can't. But if things come up and all of a sudden I can see it, I will stop the scene and we can readjust. And I think that goes back to like, hey, white dude who's saying that, we're not telling you not to say that or set – we're not telling you to censor or not have free speech. What we're saying is in the moment on stage, there are – a myriad of other stronger improv choices you could be making right now. And perhaps you could be open to listening to that. And also a byproduct of that is you're shitting on someone. (laughs) Right. Like you can make so many other choices and not shit on someone. I play dark. I play dirty. I get, I have many times gotten too dark. Um, and I, again, being in the situation I am, I was able to cast the team that I play with in the larger ensemble. Uh, um, they know I play dark. If they have a problem playing dark, they wouldn't be playing with me. But the other thing that they're really good at doing, cause they also will like enjoy going dark, but they're also really good at being like Lauren just crossed a line or is about to, and can come in and, like, make the scene take a right turn because I'm like, oh, shit, I went too far. And then they'll make that right turn. I'm like, thank God they just got me out of that, right? And and so, and so it's not because I'm trying to be offensive or whatnot. It's just that it's improv, and sometimes you try something, and you're like, well, that fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. Like, I... I like to think of it as, um, I don't know, Armando uh, Diaz has some quote that I am not going to say correctly right now, but um, it's basically like good improv is sort of doing the least amount of, like the least amount of work you can get away with without being fired, you know? Um, And so a, a lot of times when, when I'm working with students or teams and they're sort of like crossing lines or territories that get uncomfortable or offensive, I think, again, I'll say, you know, I I really believe that nothing is off limit, um, but make a choice for yourself because as an all white team, when you start labeling people as different races, you're creating, uh, you're creating really heavy lifting for yourself. You know what I mean? It's like, and think about it. It's like, what do you want right now? Do you want to be like bent? You know, do we want to be doing like bicep curls with like 30 pound weights? Or if I told you, you can get as much out of it as like five pound weights. Like, what do you want to be doing right now? So it's like, I think of it in terms of like, if you start setting up this scene with like an uncle who's a pedophilia and his niece, you're going to have to work really, really hard to have this be anything worthwhile. And you don't, you don't need to. Now, I think, again, this is the thing where it's like, you don't want to tell anyone that you can't because I've seen some beautiful and amazing scenes that deal with really, really difficult material, but that are skilled improvisers. They're skilled athletes, you know? Um, Yeah, because they're, I mean, that's, for me, that's the whole comedy. Comedians get away throughout time 
with making fun of the king or the emperor because they're doing it in a comedic way, but they're making a larger commentary on society. Like that has been something through history that they can get away with. And so a lot of times I look at it as my job to handle that, but it's, you've got to know how to handle it. You've got to have been open to making bad choices and mistakes, but being open to being like, that went really wrong. Here's why. And instead of being like, you're just trying to censor me. Right. Like, you've got to be open and willing to have that. If you're if you feel that being a, a, an improviser, or a comedian, part of that satire is your job. And some people don't want it to be. They're like, I just want to blow off steam and just do absurd or whimsy. Great. Cool. You know, uh, Paul, Paul Valancourt taught me a long time ago of like, do you want your scenes? The same thing of lifting weights. Like, do you want your scenes to be easy or do you want it to be hard? He's like, I like easy. Here's the easiest route you can take this. So it's not censoring. It's just like, oh, that road is the easier road. Let's just fucking go down that road. Like, I'm not here to 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 do that kind of workout. It's um, it's getting through the people who are not open and willing to have that conversation. And, like, this may sound – I don't know how this is going to sound when I say it. So I'm just going to say it. We'll see. But – my hope is that if they're not open and willing to have that conversation and I've tried to get through to them and it's just not working, that they will choose to self-eject from the type of community we've created because then it's not a community that is the right fit for them. Yeah, and that's always an option too. And I think that's really important for um, for theaters and institutions and, and teams to say this is like the the type of place we want to be and we're going to stand by that. And it can be really hard and really complicated. Right, right. Yeah, because a lot of times people feel like you're judging their art and how do you judge art because art is subjective. And, and it's, but that's not, yeah, so it gets to be a messy, difficult conversation. Um, so, you know, I just, yeah, diversity is super, I, I think I'm just super hyper aware, one, because I am, Especially in Florida, if I look at all the theaters that are up in Florida, there's, I think, one or two other communities in all of Florida that are spearheaded by women. And the rest are white men who are spearheading, for the most part. Or at least men. There's a couple of people of color who are spearheading. So it's always just kind of there. And it's so interesting to me because it goes back to... It's so interesting. I feel like... uh, we don't spend a lot of time talking about Viola Spolin, but she really was, you know, the godmother of all of this. You know, she was Paul Sills mom. Um, and Paul Sills was, you know, one of the founders of the second city. And like, so everything sort of like started from that, but she started improv in her work as a social worker, you know, like working with immigrant families in Chicago in the South side of Chicago. Um, like during the depression at the same house, the same institution, um, the hall house where Jane Adam, that Jane Adams founded. And she was the godmother of social work. And so like, we have these strong women, um, to look to, you know, and we have this work that was intended as a means of increasing communication and like helping people find their own true voice. I think that's the other thing too, is when people say like, well, you know, like you can't, you can't censor me. We can't have like censorship as a part of this. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's very true, you know. Um, and let's also look at when 
comment, if they go unchecked, might unintentionally censor someone else or like shut someone else down, right? And so that's, I think, uh, an important part of the conversation. And, and having those conversations as openly as possible, um, you know, uh, I uh, believe very strongly that no one is perfect, that we all make mistakes. I make mistakes. I make tons of mistakes when I'm talking about um, uh, issues of diversity and privilege and oppression. And I'm constantly learning. And I love that process. And I love when people check me on it. Um, even though in the moment it can be really, really painful and really hard. So, uh, you know, I, I get it when people want to run to, please don't censor me, please don't make me confront this fact that I'm prejudiced. It can be a really painful thing, but I think improv can be a wonderful tool in, in, in helping people, you know, see that or work, work towards that. Improv just makes a, a person, I feel like it makes them live a fuller, more intentional life. Uh, yeah, I'm a big proponent of that. Yeah. Do you have any like thoughts or advice for someone who's thinking about coaching or going into teaching? Oh my goodness. Yeah. I would say, uh, do it, give it a try. Um, uh, go for it. Um, I would also say like, think for yourself, like what made, what drew you to improv in the first place? What do you love about it? Um, why you continue doing it. Um, because I think that helps you develop your unique voice as a coach or a teacher. Um, you know, yeah, uh, I think, uh, the more you can sort of articulate, this is, is who I am and this is my voice and this is my style. And, uh, just accept that some people will like that and some people won't. And that is fine. The, the happier you'll be in that process. If people want to find you, where can they find you? Um, let's see. So my performance page is on the Magnet Theater website. Um, so you can find me there. I'm in the process of developing my own website, but that's actually more for my work as a, a therapist that I'm starting. Um, so I don't know. If anyone wants to refer me to someone for therapy and not for improv... Um, you can find, you can do a Google search for my name, Caitlin Seitzer. I'm working with an agency called, uh, Wintercorn Counseling, but yeah. So the Magnet Theater or Wintercorn Counseling, those are the two areas of, uh, of my life. Mm-hmm.